Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thank you uh, so much for your prayers while I was gone. It's so good to be back with you guys. I'm still uh, waking up uh, a little bit, working on a nine-hour time difference. Uh, and so, uh, but, so if I'm a little, I'll blame it on that if I'm a little airheaded today. Uh, but uh, it's so good to be back. I want to thank you for your prayers uh, while I was in Swaziland and uh, I have so many stories, and we'll figure out a time when I can share some of those and pictures with you. And just want to encourage you, man, the resources that you gave went <clears throat> much further than we had anticipated. Um, and in so many ways, we were able to feed so many people and share the gospel and visit so many people. And anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all about it, but thank you for investing in that trip. And all glory to God, because it couldn't have happened without him for sure. Um, I think we might have a picture. Yeah, this is where I was preaching last week. Um, this is the church in a little place called Imphosi, and I didn't know I'd be preaching there until the day before, and uh, that's what it looked like, and that's the inside of it. <laughs> it was hot. I could tell you that. You know it's hot when the Africans are getting out in the middle of the church service to cool off outside, but uh, I was stuck inside, and uh, praise God, he uh, didn't let me faint. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was the nicer of the two churches that, that I, I shared at. And, uh, with, man, changes your perspective on the church, that's for sure. Um, our churches issue some very minuscule uh, compared to what other people are, are dealing with. And so, so thankful that I got to have that perspective um, globally and to learn from other Christians in third world countries. Today, as we celebrate Easter, um, I want to pick up where we left a Good Friday and, um, and read through the narrative of the resurrection story in the gospel according to John. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and, and turn there with me. And thankfully, by God's grace, he gave us power in here this morning. And so we'll be able to have it on the screen also if you didn't bring uh, your copy of the Bible. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, please let us know. We'd, we'd love to give you one. We're going to read the whole chapter of, of John chapter 20, and, and then we're going to focus in on verses 24 to 31. And as we're reading this, I want you to kind of keep your eyes open for key words that reappear in this passage, okay? Um, can you hear me okay? Okay. 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 Um, let me pray for us. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word, uh, your word. Thank you for <clears throat> this lamp unto our feet, God, and this light unto our path. Thank you for telling us who you are and what you've done for us through your scripture. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in here now and teach us. Use this word to transform us, to save us, to... Make us more into your image, God, to help us worship you better and to give you glory as our resurrected Lord today. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing 
you may have life in his name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to look at five ways that the resurrected Jesus works for our joy, according to this passage. First of all, Jesus rose from the dead just like he said he would, okay? Throughout Jesus' public ministry, he repeatedly told his disciples that he would be killed, but that after three days he would rise again. And in a recent sermon, we, we heard Jesus say in John 10, verses 17 to 18, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And in other passages, Jesus clearly described what would happen to him. And in Mark chapter 10, verses 34, Jesus said, And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And by rising from the dead, Jesus validated every word that he had spoken. He, uh, he validated that all of his words were tr trustworthy and true, and he proved to everybody that he was who he claimed to be, that he was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sent from God the Father from heaven to earth to seek and to save sinners. And as the God-man risen from the grave, Jesus proved that he is the one with the power over life and over death. Remember that when Jesus' disciples heard that Jesus had risen from the dead, it had only been a few days since they had seen him beaten to near death and then hung upon the cross, right? So the disciples saw with their own eyes how just a few days previously the Romans had torn apart Jesus' body and nailed him to a cross and then watched him hang on the cross uh, to suffocate and die. And, and that's why the disciples didn't believe the women when they said that Jesus was back up and at them <laughs> three days later, okay? Nobody could stand up after such a beating. And certainly nobody could come back to life after everybody had witnessed them die. But Jesus was back, <laughs> And he had more power and more glory than ever before. And by rising from the dead, he was working for his glory and for our joy by proving the truth of his identity and by proving the power of his might as Jesus God the Son, risen from the dead. Now the second way that the resurrected Jesus works for our joy, according to this passage, is by offering to us peace with God. When Jesus appeared to the disciples on that Sunday evening, his first words to them were, peace be with you. Peace be with you. In other passages, he says, do not be afraid, but peace be with you. And that's an incredible greeting when you consider how the disciples had treated him. I mean, remember that when Jesus had asked his disciples that previous Thursday night, when they were in the garden, Jesus would have said, well, you just sit here and pray with me and for me for a few minutes, what did they do? <laughs> they didn't plead to God, the Father, to give Jesus strength. They fell asleep several times. And later on, when strangers asked the disciples if they were friends with this Jesus whom they had lived with and learned from for three years, 
They pretended like they didn't know him. And when Jesus was crucified on the cross, most of the disciples either watched from a distance if they were there at all. And when the disciples heard that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, instead of celebrating and searching for Jesus, they locked themselves inside a house because they were scared of the Jews. And so after three days in the tomb, Jesus miraculously shows up inside of their locked house, and the first thing he tells them is, peace be with you. Peace to you. To these very friends who had abandoned him in his greatest hour of need, Jesus tells them, peace to you. And he repeats this three times in verses 19, 21, and 26. And this morning, Jesus offers to you and to me the same greeting of peace. Peace to you. Jesus offers you his peace, his friendship. This is the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ, which we call the gospel, that God offers you peace and friendship with himself for eternity. On the cross, Jesus became our rebellious, sinful self, and as our substitute, he suffered the wrath of God in our place. And he killed our sin, he killed our old selves, and God forgave us forever, those of us who are in Christ. And as he took our sin upon himself, he replaced the sin that was in us, us with his own perfect righteousness that was in him. And so that not only has God forgiven us forever of our sins against him, but also God has now chosen to look at us forever with favor because we have become the very righteousness of God. Today, Jesus comes to you just as he came to these disciples that Sunday morning. He comes to you as the one who has fully dealt with your sin for you, and he says, peace to you. This is God's disposition toward you now if you are in Christ. He offers you peace. And whoever trusts in Jesus, whoever trusts in Jesus as God, as this risen, resurrected Savior, will receive his peace and will enjoy his peace for all eternity. Third, Jesus provides physical evidence of his resurrection. So Jesus didn't have to hang around on earth in his resurrection body. He, he could have just left the open tomb and the burial garments as evidence uh, that he'd gone back to heaven. But for our sake, he stayed on earth for 40 more days, and he appeared to more than 500 different eyewitnesses and interacted with them. And, and he didn't merely appear to them um, as in a dream, but he interacted with them physically in his flesh and blood body. And uh, the short video I want to play for you, at the University of Cambridge, uh, Dr. Peter Williams lays out the variety of encounters that people had with the resurrected Christ, okay? Um, the audio is a little weird, but listen up. You'll, you'll get, catch the gist of it. Let's watch it. It's about a two-minute video.
John 20, 27 says that then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it at my side and do not disbelieve but believe. So Jesus' resurrection body is a physical body and he encourages his disciples to touch him with their hands so that they can be certain that he was for real. Jesus didn't stay on earth in his resurrected body in order to hide from people. On the contrary, he interacted with many different people in a variety of different settings so that there would be an abundance of evidence, an abundance of eyewitnesses. And every book of the New Testament of the Bible that we have was written by one of those eyewitnesses or by someone who wrote down what those eyewitnesses told them. So it's important for us to see that faith in Jesus and faith in the resurrection of Jesus is not an irrational decision. On the contrary, faith in Jesus is a very rational decision because it's grounded upon copious amounts of historical, empirical evidence and eyewitness testimonies. And I could go on and on about all the ways that we can trust this specific passage uh, that we're looking at today, and I would love to talk to you more about that if you're interested, but we don't have the time to do that this morning. The fourth way that Jesus works for our joy, according to this passage, is by commanding us to believe him. And Jesus shows Thomas that he truly has risen from the dead, and After he does this, Jesus commands Thomas to believe him. Jesus doesn't suggest to Thomas that he believes, uh, to, to believe him. Jesus is talking to Thomas as God to a person, and he commands Thomas to believe him. Now, in fact, faith is so important to Jesus that he states it two different ways here. In verse 27, he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. So he says, do not disbelieve. Do not not believe that I am God and that I have risen from the dead, because disbelief in God leads you to terrible places. Instead, believe that Jesus is God. Believe that he has risen from the dead, and that each of us individually trusts in Jesus as God is critical to God Well, we see this here in Jesus' interaction with Thomas, and then also we see it in the, uh, the gospel writer John, his own words here. He says that the whole reason that God led him to write the gospel of John is so that we would believe in Jesus. John writes in verses 30 to 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. So at the end of the day, everyone puts their faith in something. Okay? There's no such thing as a faithless person. What distinguishes us is what we put our faith in. The, the person who says that he or she doesn't believe in God might say that he or she is trusting in science alone or that he or she is trusting in his or her best estimation of what reality is. But the fact is, he or she is putting his or her faith in something. The man who says that he's not interested in God, or he's just not interested in that, he's not interested in talking about matters of his own soul, he is putting his faith in the fact that his own indifference in faith can eternally satisfy him. Some people trust in the good things that they've done, the good works they've done to bring them, that these things can bring them eternal satisfaction. Some people trust in the money that they've earned and the resources that they've uh, accrued over the course of their lives. And other people trust in false gods created by men. But after this life, we're going to see that there will no longer be opinions about the truth. Okay? There will be none of this talk about truth is whatever you want it to be. We'll see after this life that there is truth and there are lies. And because Jesus wants joy, now listen, this is what's motivating him here, the glory of God and the joy of humanity. Because Jesus is gracious and because he wants joy for you and me, this is why he commands us to put our faith in him and in nothing else. Because he wants us to know the truth. And he wants us to have what we will see here in the next, um, the next point, a reward for this. Uh, he gives us this reason why we should believe in him. Why? Well, the reason why we should believe him is this fifth way that he seeks our joy. He commands us to believe him so that we may have life in his name. That's what that, he says, I command you to believe me so that you may have life. Verse 31 says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. To trusting in Jesus is the way to receive true life from God, and, and trusting in Jesus is the way to live true life. It's, it's not by trusting in yourself. It's not by trusting in anything else. True life is found in knowing God. So Jesus says in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And if you read all of the Gospel of John, you'll see that um, this life that Jesus promises to us is not merely biological life. It is eternal life. And Jesus isn't promising us here our best life now, okay? It's not what he's promising us. He promises us that when we trust in him, we have friendship with him now and forever, despite whatever circumstances we may be going through and we may have to endure for the rest of our earthly lives, okay? He promises us that when we trust in him for the first time, that he recreates our soul, that he gives us eternal life with him. And as we continue to trust Jesus every day of our lives, 
we experience more of him. We experience more of his power, more of his freedom, more of his peace in our lives. This life, this eternal life with God, the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10 is the life that you were created to live and I was created to live, and it's the only type of life in which our souls will find satisfaction, in which our souls will be quenched, in which we will be truly delighted and free for eternity. And eternal life begins when you trust in him now and it grows exponentially in quality and quantity after this life. This is why Jesus came. This is why he was beaten. This is why he was hung on the cross. This is why he rose from the dead so that you and I could have this eternal life. And there's no other way to have this life outside of Jesus because he alone has done it. He alone has become the sin of the world and suffered the wrath of God for all who trust in him. No one else has. That's why it is only in him that we can have life. So today, let's take his command seriously to believe him. And remember that that's a command to believe him so that we might have life with him now and forever. I want to close our time here with a few minutes of silent prayer just to reflect on this. If you've already trusted in Jesus for eternal life, praise God. Uh, today is an awesome celebration day. We're going to celebrate together. We've got 13 baptisms here in a few minutes. And as you continue to trust him today, tell Jesus how grateful you are for him, how grateful you are that he sought you and that he offers you peace. And if you're here today, and if you want to trust Jesus for the first time, then I encourage you to pray to him. The Bible says that he knows the thoughts of our mind and the words of our mouths before we even say a word. You could talk to him in prayer and ask him to save you, and we'll put a, a prayer up on the screen if that would help you, help guide you in, in talking to Jesus. But I, I want to urge you to do what Jesus urges you to do in this passage, which is to believe that this isn't a matter to be trifled with. This isn't, let's get through with the sermon and then go have our chocolate Easter bunny and do the Easter thing today, okay? This is what Easter's about, that Jesus offers you resurrection life with him. Let's celebrate that today because it's our hope. It's our hope now and forever. Let's take a few minutes of silent prayer and then I'll close this.
Dear Lord Jesus, we gather as your church today to proclaim that you are alive. You have risen from the grave. You sit at the right hand of God the Father, awaiting the time to return to earth to judge the living and the dead. The power of life and death is in your hand, and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that you offer us peace with you, Jesus. And we thank you that you have done everything necessary to give us peace with you. Lord, I pray for those who do not know you today, that you would call them to you with power and save them, Jesus, through this gospel, this good news. For our friends and family, God, who are struggling with different issues, that and, and us too, that you would use our brokenness to turn to you, Jesus. That you would give us strength in our weakness and that we would find that you are the only thing that can satisfy us. For those of us, God, that you've called and saved already, we praise you. We love you. Please, Lord, use us to be your instruments of peace and love and generosity and grace in your body and in this world, Jesus. Help us to love others as you have loved us. All praise and glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.